we have a few still coming in. Um, I would say, you know, raise your hand if you have an empty seat next to you. It looks like we have plenty, so we won't worry about that. Um, so, get that everything. Um, in your packet, there should be the page that's entitled Relational <coughs> Wisdom, and that's the one we're going to be working with right now. talking about conflict, and I just want to say up front, I do not want to trivialize anything that you might be going through. We all are facing conflicts of some sort throughout different seasons of our life, and so um, some are really hurtful, some are just kind of more surface, but what we're dealing with, you know, tonight, I hope that you'll find some, some things that you can take home with you, because for me, uh, conflict in my life... Uh, I've had plenty of it, <laughs> and sometimes some I've caused and some not, but I've had conflicts, and I am learning, I'm learning some keys that are really helping me deal with conflict, and so I just will tell you, I wish I had known some of these things a lot earlier in my life. It would have made an incredible amount of difference, so anyway, well, welcome tonight. So conflict can be so tricky. Sometimes it can leave you trying to figure out what on earth did I do wrong? And then somehow it always leaves us knowing what the other person did wrong. <laughs> so at times we find ourselves in a conflict and, and we want to even ask, do I even have to deal with this? While other times it's like, I'm going to do whatever it takes to get this set straight. I just, I need to move on and I want to do whatever I can to take care of this situation. Maybe it might be a good time to find out where and why conflict begins. So this, the Bible has something to say about that in James 4.3. But about the feuds and struggles that exist among you, where do you suppose they come from? Can't you see that they arise from conflicting passions within yourselves? You crave for something and don't get it. You are jealous and envious of what others have, and you don't possess it yourselves. Consequently, in your exasperated frustration, you struggle and fight with one another. You don't get what you want because you don't ask God for it. And when you do ask, he doesn't give it to you, for you ask in quite the wrong spirit. You only want to satisfy your own desires. That word desires is actually a key to conflict because, you know, desires on their own are generally nothing that we think about being very bad. I mean, some of us have a desire to be respected by other people. Some of you might have a desire to have a loving family, and have your kids grow up well. Some of you might just wish you could belong somewhere and people would value you for who you are. Some of you might wish that your best friend or your husband would really listen to you and hear what you're saying when you share something with them. Those desires, nothing necessarily wrong with those. So how does a desire evolve into a conflict. I love this picture because it's like when we have our desires, sometimes a lot of times we're like, I'm reaching for it, baby. I really want that. And so we're going to try to do everything we can to make it happen. But that's what actually does happen. We're going to take a look at the progression of conflict. And as we talk about it with this next slide, I want you to see if you see yourself in it because I see myself in it. So starting with the desire. Maybe you have just a desire that something will happen, that you'll experience something, something you want. But in the midst of that desire, um, 
you're not getting it. Somebody is blocking it. Uh, either the circumstances, or maybe it's a coworker, a family member, a good friend. It's just they don't get it. They don't know what you need. And so you've realized my desire is not being fulfilled. So you begin to put pressure on them and start kind of demanding it. Hey, you know, really, this is really important to me. Don't you get that? I, I really need this to happen. And you're just trying to accuse them of not really paying attention. When the demand doesn't bring about the desire, then you move on to judgment. You know, they are so insensitive. They couldn't possibly care about me at all. I bet they don't even love me. And just look, they're being so selfish, just thinking about themselves. So we move from judgment next when we're getting heated up. That's why I love this thermometer here because we do. We get these things and we just get really stressed inside. We're getting heated. Now, why can't I get that? And then we move to punishment. <coughs> punishment is more like getting into an attack mode. I mean, our words become barbed and pointed, sarcastic maybe, put-downs. Um, we actually might do the opposite and give the silent treatment or just avoid them at all costs. Um, sometimes punishment is denying them what they desire in return to just kind of justify, well, I'm not getting what I want, so I'm not giving you what you want. When you get to the point that you've gone through these steps in your desire, we're in a full-blown conflict. I mean, we are really out of control even with that desire that we have. How are we out of control? We've come to the point that we are willing to hurt a relationship with someone. We're willing to disobey God who said, love others as I have loved you. Treat other people the way you want to be treated. All of that just to get what we want. I want you to watch the conversation between this next couple and see how this happens. Hey there. Hey. So I'm trying to decide what to do for vacation this year. Oh yeah? Yeah. What do you uh what do you think we should do? Good question. Um you know, I was thinking this summer it would be a good idea if we went to visit my parents. And we haven't seen them in a while. No, I, the problem is that's not a break for me. Yeah, your parents are hard work, especially your mom. I want to relax. I want to go to the beach. I mean, seriously, if we don't go see them, they can't come see us. They can't travel. It'll be another year before the kids see them. I get two weeks off for vacation. That's it. I'm aware. I want to use it to relax. That's it. I, I want to take it easy. Work's been hard this year. I want to go to the beach. What's the problem? Yeah, but we went to the beach last year because yeah. of the same reason. Yeah, and we got to relax. We got to take it easy. That's what I'm talking about. That's not what I meant. And you know that. Yes, the beach was fun. We all had a great time, but my father is not going to be around forever, and I don't want to feel like I missed this opportunity to spend time with him. I don't know why we always have to go through this. I wish you could just... Think about what I need, or what the kids need, and it wasn't just always about you. Really? Really. So I'm selfish. I'm working 60 hours a week, okay, to pay for all these vacations, all this stuff that we do, so you can make all the decisions? Really? 
Is that how it's going to work? I'm just some big ATM. I'm going to throw money all over the place so you can make all the decisions. Yeah, go ahead and call me selfish. That makes a lot of sense. I'm selfish. I cannot take this anymore. Like, taking care of the house and the kids, like, that's not a real job. You know, and I work part-time. I pull my share. If it's that important to you to have a break, you should take one. Go to the beach. Call your golf buddies. Do whatever you want. And I'll take the kids. I'll, no, we'll go see my no I want to take a family vacation. Family vacation. I want to see my kids. I want to spend time with my kids. Well, care about this family as much as you care about your parents. That's what you need to be doing. We're right here. Us. That is so unfair. This is ridiculous. Yeah, it is ridiculous. You know what? You're right. You do whatever you want. I'm going to bed. You do that. I'm going to watch a movie. Please do not do that. Good night. I'll see you tomorrow. Good night. Why does it always have to be this hard? Maybe you can find someone in your group that might be willing to share one thing that you noticed in this couple's conversation that deals with this desire up to punishment, full-blown conflict. Would someone start us out? What'd you notice? They both had a desire. Okay. All right. Desire for vacation. Yeah. Right. Okay. What else did you notice? What happened? Well, they had different desires, because her desire was to see her parents for vacation. His desire was to just be their little nuclear family yeah. somewhere. Okay, absolutely. Where did it take a turn? What did you notice? When the father made a demand, well, I'm not doing that. I need to go to the beach. Okay. I need to Good. Okay. Yeah. I thought it took a turn earlier than that, even when he actually asked for her opinion, but as soon as she gave it, Okay. Okay. Good. Good observation. What else happened? The punishment. He said, I'm going to go watch a movie. Okay. Please don't do that. Okay. Okay. Do you get a sense of what kind of movie he was planning to watch? Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't even thought about that. Yeah. Oh, not Disneyland. I didn't even cross my mind. Did you uh, hear some accu accusations or judgments coming through this? Yeah. Being selfish. Yes. Being selfish, right? Okay. Okay. Well, you've made some good observations, and, and you may have had some more. Yes. One of the things that we talked about was we heard a lot of very black and white words like always and all and no. very you, okay. you. It's all there was a lot of pointing but it was there was no middle ground it was you always do this and, you know I might as well give you all of my money all the time and it gets very black and white okay good good anyone else because I don't want to leave you out if you've got something that you want to share about something you in your group said yes um I didn't feel like there was very much like um give on either side, like, go three days to the moms or two days to the beach or whatever. Mm -hmm. I just did, that was kind of weird. Okay. Yeah, they both took their positions and stood there, didn't they? You're right. Good job. I observed that they didn't have a very good relationship to begin with. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. They've had this conversation before. 
when she walked into the kitchen, yeah. she said she, had an attitude. she looked like she was upset, like yeah. something was already bothering her, which okay. may, you know, if you skip to the end, or the movie part, may have come into, you know, maybe that was what's okay. going on with her. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So already, yeah. We bring some things with us to a conflict sometimes, mm -hmm. right, that we carry inside. Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of us, like this couple, find ourselves repeating some conflicts with people that we know. I mean, we're like, oh, we've been here before. And uh, so what I want us to think about is usually when we get to that point and we think, you know, we've been through this conflict so many times, it basically leaves us totally exhausted, bewildered, exasperated, like, is there anything we can ever do that will work out here? Can we, can we get it worked out? And it's really easy to see that our sadness our hurt feelings, resentment or bitterness, just anger that we feel, uh, is all about what the other person did or said, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's where we usually focus first. We usually try to focus there. But the key for us is to refocus. First of all, I need to focus on God, okay? Then, when I've really focused on God, then I can focus on myself. And lastly, focus on the other person. So where do we start? We start with God. 1 Corinthians 10.31. Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. What? You mean if I'm in a conflict, I can glorify God? What's up with that? <laughs> conflict actually is an opportunity in a couple of different ways. It's an opportunity first to reflect the Lord in what's happening around you. Uh, to kind of be a mirror of him. You know, when I'm in a conflict and people around me know it and maybe they see the way I'm talking with the other person or how I'm acting toward that other person, I'm reflecting something. I hope that I'm reflecting the Lord, that I love him. It's not easy to do all the time because when you're really hot, it's not easy. But that's our first goal, <coughs> looking to God. God, I want to reflect you. I want to honor you in this. And there's some scriptures that talk about this. Ephesians 5.1, imitate God therefore in everything you do because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love following the example of Christ. And in Colossians, and whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Two words there, we are to imitate God, we are to be his representatives. Those are pretty big steps to fill, and we can't do it on our own. Jesus also said, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. What a way to represent Jesus to the world. You know, when I'm concentrating on how to love I'm not focused on what the other person did or said or defending myself as much as I am trying to get my heart focused on God and I'm going to ask for his help. Lord, help me be ready to love. Make me loving. Create in me a loving heart. When I'm hurting, please take over and put your love there in place of what I'm feeling with my words and with my actions. I'm relying on God to help me think straight in the middle of the conflict, to calm my emotions down when they're pretty boiling, and to give me peace in my heart. 
not peace that I can justify or make up on my own, but God, would you give me your peace throughout this? Because I need to be calm, I need to be thinking straight, so I need your help. I think two questions I like to ask myself in this, in this area is like, Lord, is there any way that I can honor you through this conflict? It's a big question. Will you make it possible for me to respond to this differently than people who have chosen not to follow you? I want to be different. After you really get your, you know, focus on God and you ask Him to really help you honor Him, then you can get to the point where you are focusing on you. So, what does that look like? Have you ever considered that God might want to use your conflict to do something in you? It's a good chance for him to give us a heart check. Psalm 139, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path everlasting. Another heart check verse is from Matthew 7, 3 to 5, and most of us know this one. The one about trying to get the speck that's out of your neighbor's eye, but you've got this big log in yours, and he's saying, hey, you got to take that out so you can see to get the speck out of your neighbor's eye. I love the way the message paraphrase puts this. Don't pick on people. Jump on their failures. Criticize their faults. Unless, of course, you want the same treatment. That critical spirit has a way of boomeranging. It's easy to see a smudge on your neighbor's face and be oblivious to the ugly sneer on your own. Do you have the nerve to say, let me wash your face for you, when your own face is distorted by contempt? It's this whole traveling roadshow mentality all over again, playing a holier-than-thou part instead of just living your part. Wipe that ugly sneer off your own face, and you might be fit to offer a washcloth to your neighbor. <laughs> you know, these scriptures to me, you know what it says to me? Karen, I want you to remember that you have a part in this and that your heart still has some places that need to be changed. And so he keeps me, in these scriptures, kind of reminds me to stay away from being prideful, from thinking my way is the best way. And the other person needs to get their stuff together so we can get it all worked out. It's me, too, that needs to work on it. Another scripture says, Romans 12, 18, if it is possible... As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. <coughs> what does that even look like? A friend of mine defined it this way. Do everything you reasonably can to have the best relationship you can with the other person. Have you ever been in kind of a contention with someone and you feel like you're working hard at it and you really want to make peace with them, but it's like nothing's coming back from the other way? And it's like, well, I'm doing what I can. What's going on? We can't be responsible for how the other person is going to respond. We have to take care of us. Do what you reasonably can to have the best relationship you can with the other person. So realizing some situations are going to be harder to have peace. I have a man, um, he's a friend of ours, and he is divorced, and he was telling me this story that related to this. He said, you know, when my ex-wife would call about problems with the family or with the kids, whatever, that were between us, every time we talked on the phone, we got into a horrendous fight. It was arguing, quarreling. It was just horrible. And, and I would think, this is just awful. She'd call again, and the same thing, always arguing. And he's like, what can I reasonably do 
to help solve this situation. So he decided, okay, when she calls, I'm not going to answer. I'm going to let it go to voicemail, and she can leave the message. Whatever she needs to talk to me about, she can leave the message. He would pick up the message, and then he would email or text her a response. No more of this phone call where it's so much bickering. I mean, you know, they were still having a relationship as far as talking and handling the problems in their family, but he decided what I reasonably can do is not answer the phone. I think sometimes we have to say, Lord, in this situation, is this time for me to kind of give some space so that the other person can heal from their hurt or maybe process what's been going on? Or maybe it's me that needs the space to kind of process and heal a little bit. Is that what I need to do, Lord? Is that what I reasonably can do right here? Or is this one of those times I need to press in so that they understand, this is important to me. I want to get this straightened out. It's just asking the Lord, what can I reasonably do to have the best relationship I can with the other person? So what can I do? First of all, I can check my actions. What does my body language look like? I mean, when I'm around that person or those people, do I snub them? Do I give them the look? Do I give them a silent treatment, like you're not that important to me? Maybe I even get to the point where I physically hurt them at some point. So my actions, what does it look like? My words, are my words kind or unkind when I'm around that person? Have I gotten to the sarcastic type of words, the put-downs, the gossiping in the sense that I'm telling other people what they did that hurt me? I loved a few weeks ago when Jennifer uh, was sharing on friendship. I don't know if you remember this phrase, but your name is safe in my mouth. Mm -hmm. I love that. Because even if a person has hurt you, really wounded you, their name in your mouth, what comes out, can color other people's opinion or you know, color their reputation. So it's important that in the middle of that, if we're trying to reflect the Lord, that we are saying kind things are not saying anything at all. But it's really important to check your words. Check your attitudes and your thoughts. So, you know, my way's best. If they could just realize that, we wouldn't even be in this conflict. You know, they don't have as much education in this area as I do. So, you know, how can they possibly know what would be the best thing to do here? Maybe there's thoughts of jealousy. Maybe you're comparing yourself to that other person. Um, maybe you've gotten bitter against something that they said or did. These three things, just asking, Lord, is there anything in my actions or my words that is not honoring to you? Are there any of my attitudes or thoughts that are actually adding to the tension of this conflict? The last thing I like to add is my fears and insecurity. Oh, where does that come in in a conflict? Many of us in our lives, sometimes as a child, have been wounded or hurt by something that was said or done to us. And even though we'd like to just be free of it, maybe at that time we didn't have the tools, maybe we still don't have the tools to really 
let that totally out and be free from that. We carry that with us. And when we get into a new conflict, sometimes something that's said or done triggers that old wound or that old emotional response. And it's like, oh my goodness, that feels so, so familiar. And it, all of a sudden it changes our perception of the conflict that we're currently in. That becomes our reality. The other person doesn't know anything about it. But that becomes how we see that conflict. So asking the Lord, Lord, is there anything that is like something from my past that's really making me even be more intense about this conflict? If it is, would you just please help me to release that? Once you kind of go through this and you figure out, you know, I see. I see where I haven't been doing the right thing totally. I see my part in this conflict. Once you see your part, then the next thing is you have to own 100% of that. Maybe you think, you know, I only had 5% that I think I was wrong in this conflict. But that's your 5%, and you better own it. Because that's where you get your heart straight with God, and you say, Lord, whatever is my percent, and it's not representing your character, then I want you to heal me from that. I want you to forgive me. I want you to change it so that I am more like you. Finally, when you come to that point, you can focus on the other person. Here's some scriptures. So if while you are offering your gift at the altar, you should remember that your brother has something against you, you must leave your gift there before the altar and go away. Make your peace with your brother first, then come and offer your gift. This is when someone has offended you. I mean, you know, sometimes you sit in church and somebody comes in and you're going, you know the cues. I mean, they either look away from you or when you get up to walk by them, they, you know, definitely glance away or maybe even walk away. Uh, If you do have a conversation with them, it might be kind of stilted or superficial. You know there's something between you that is not right. What does he say? Go and make it right. The second one, Matthew 18, 15, if your brother or sister sins against you, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. This is when you've been hurt by someone. You've been wounded. Well, my goodness, it's them that wounded me. Shouldn't they be the one to come and talk to me about it? He says, you go and point out their fault. Well, that's kind of scary, isn't it, to think about that. Just between the two of you. So when you think about that, you know that somewhere in either of these scenarios, there's going to probably be a need for an apology, right? Most apologies, as we've heard sometimes before, is, I'm sorry. I'm sorry if you got hurt. Well, I'm sorry that made you mad, right? Yeah. And then the person that receives that is kind of like, how sincere is that? Do they really even get what they did? Do they know how it affected me? So... What I want to do is share with you what I'm learning about what a true apology looks like. The first thing is to address everyone involved. What on earth does that mean? I was a middle school teacher, and I had one boy that stepped on every nerve I had. And, you know, it just it was just one of those times. And we were doing group work around tables. So the kids were together with different groups around. And I looked, and he was doing absolutely nothing, not contributing, just messing around. And I went over, and because I had kind of a history with him, I laid into him. I told him what I thought of him. I was very sarcastic and very demeaning. And I was just so mad. I walked away, and I immediately, in my mind, thought, Karen, 
that is not the person you are. What did you just do? I turned around and grabbed that guy. I said, would you come with me just a minute? Took him and I said, you know, I need to tell you, I am very sorry that I spoke to you that way, that I used that tone of voice, that I spoke to you in such a, a sarcastic way and demeaning. You must have felt totally like you weren't worth anything to me or that, you know, you didn't matter to me. And I am really sorry because I do not want to ever speak to you or anyone like that again, and I hope you will forgive me. He went and sat down, but guess what? All those kids at the table heard that. So I went to the table and I said, kids, I just need to tell you, I just spoke to John over here in such a very negative way, and I want to tell you, those are not the kind of words that I'm used to using. That is not the way that I want to speak to my students. I want you to know that I care about you and that I respect you. And so I hope that you will forgive me because I never want to do that to any of you again. And then I proceeded to go on. Sometimes you're in a place where other people hear it. Maybe it's something that happens in your family. Your kids hear it or you're saying something to your kids and, and you're, you know another relative is there and hears it. It's important that you show them, hey, I realize what I did was wrong and I just want you to know because I really want to reflect the Lord in my life, so I'm going to apologize to you. The other is to avoid using if, but, or maybe. If you'd done what you promised, I wouldn't be so mad. Well, I know I yelled at you, but you make me so angry. Maybe if you cared about me a little more, I wouldn't be so unkind to you. Every time we use if, but, or maybe, we're trying to offer an excuse or justify what we just did that was wrong. And if we hear that from somebody else, we think the same thing. So avoid those words, if at all possible. Avoid those words. Admit specifically what you did. You know, I haven't treated you like a good friend lately. I remember that I promised you that I would call you so we could get together and go out for coffee or out to dinner. Um, you know, I, I'm really sorry that was wrong of me. But that's what I did. And then you're going to acknowledge the hurt. And you know, when I did that, you must have really thought right away, well, my friendship doesn't mean very much to her. You must have thought that you really weren't very valuable to me, very important. And then you accept the consequences. And you know, because of that, I realize you might just rather not be around me. Maybe you just need to take some time away and think about this. Maybe heal from hurts that I, that I caused by not following through on what I promised. And you know, you may even decide in the middle of your processing that I'm not the kind of friend you want. I have to be willing to accept that. But all in all, I want you to know that I'm truly sorry and I hope you will forgive me. If you use an apology like this, or you hear someone give this kind of apology to you, it's gonna be a lot more well-received. Because they're going, hey, they get what they did. They know how it hurt me, and they're even willing to accept some consequences. So this is what we call like a true apology. So when you make out an apology, when I actually have had to do this, I actually write it out. Now, it doesn't mean I read it to them when I get there, but I know that I've covered these things, and so I write it out ahead of time so I kind of know where I'm going with this conversation. When you do go to someone, we kind of use what we call the pause principle in peacemakers, and it's prepare. 
So before you go to see someone or go to talk to them about their faults or even what you did, prepare by, first of all, praying for yourself. Go back to that, Lord, what is it in me that contributed to this? Would you please, whatever it is, would you forgive me for that and help me to understand that I really had a part in the, in the conflict because of that? Would you also just help me to go humbly that, that I'm not totally right in this and just with a broken heart of you know, compassion or concern for the other person. That's important. Uh, pray for the other person, that they will be receptive to what you're going to share. <coughs> they won't be on the defensive right away, but they'll sense your care and concern. One way you can show your care and concern is when you talk to them or you say, hey, I, I really feel like we need to get together to talk about this. What's a good time or a good place for you? What would work best for you? And, and you want to get it where it works best for you, too. But come up with something where both of you are okay. They, they see, oh, well, they do care a little bit about what's important to me on that. And another thing that I love uh, when you are affirming, sorry, I forgot that. When you affirm them, you go, first of all, and one of the best opening lines is something like, you know, our relationship is so important to me that I really wanted us to get together to talk and see if we can work this thing out. That says a lot to the other person when you go to talk to them. The next thing is to understand interests. Philippians 2, 3, and 4, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value <coughs> others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. So what does that look like? Kind of like in this scenario that we had with the husband and wife. They both had interests, different desires and interests. But understanding where the other person is coming from, try to think, what on earth caused them to respond that way to what happened? What motivated them to do that that hurt me so badly? Trying to do that. And then when you go and talk to them, you know, one of the best things you can do is just say, hey, would you tell me, what happened from your point of view and help me understand how you saw what happened between us. I mean, that's powerful. Then you listen. You just close your mouth and you listen. Be prepared. They may say something that's very critical of you and just, you know, shoot you down, but you listen with a heart of compassion. Listen to them. And one of the most powerful things you can do after that is to say, thank you. I mean, that's straight to the point, and I'm kind of hurt about that, but thank you for sharing that with me because it helps me understand where you're coming from and what happened in the relationship to you. Give grace. Boy, that's, that's so important, to just extend goodwill to them and mercy in the middle of it, hoping that they'll return that to you as well. When you've done these three, I think these are some of the three most important things of the pause principle, but then you can look for solutions or compromises, and then you can evaluate later, hey, did that work? Was that something that, that really worked for us? So what I want us to do now, we're going to watch that same couple again, and I want you to see how when they observe <coughs> and try to understand each other's interests, how the conversation changes. Hey there. Hey. So I'm trying to decide what to do for vacation this year. Oh, yeah? What do you think we should do? Good question. I was actually thinking that this year 
we could go see my folks. We haven't seen them in a while. Well, what do you think? I think we should go to the beach again this year. Come and relax. We had a good time last year. It's, it's fun. If we go see your folks, your mom, your mom. Work's been hard this year. This has been just a tough year. And we go to your parents, and we'll be able to relax. I want to go to the beach. I know. Okay? I know it's been a rough year, especially because of work. And I know you need to relax. And if my mom's around, you can't always do that. But you know how sick my dad is. I mean, I really thought this would be the perfect opportunity for our whole family to go and spend some quality time with him while we can. I know how important it is to see your dad. And I know we don't have much more time with him. Well, I wonder if we should do that. Okay, yeah. Yeah, let's do that. Well, I don't want you to not get the break that you need. I mean, the beach was great for our whole family last year. I just wish you got longer than two weeks. What if um, you you take the kids and then you go see your folks? You take them for a week? Point? No, no, hold on. And then the, the last couple days, <coughs> I come up. And then after that, we can take the kids to the beach for a week. I mean, it's kind of choppy, but uh, I think it works. Yeah, I think I think it sounds great. Okay, um, you get to spend quality time with your dad. We get to take the kids to the beach and relax, and I only have to see your mom for a couple of days. <laughs> <laughs> as long as you're good for being away a few weeks, then it's good for everybody. Yes, I think this sounds like the perfect solution. This is really important to me. I appreciate it. Hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna head up to bed. You coming? Yeah, I guess Ooh. so. What a difference that made. <laughs> if all things could be worked out that easily. <laughs> so, um, our goal, no matter what we're going through, should be for reconciliation. Uh, finding whatever we can do to restore or to bring into agreement or harmony. That's what reconciliation is all about. That's what we want to be about. That's God's goal too. 2 Corinthians 5.19 For God through Christ reconciled the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. The Lord wants us to be really busy building bridges to people and not build walls. You know, there is another scripture, be tolerant of one another and forgive each other if anyone has a complaint against another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, you also should forgive. There are some situations that are very serious when you get into severe abuse, um, extreme unfaithfulness, or betrayal. And, and those particular situations, I will just tell you right up front, re require really a deeper degree of God's grace and sometimes some very godly counsel from a trusted friend or counselor. 
so we're not really going to deal in with that tonight as much. What we're going to talk about in forgiveness is more the everyday or common things that most of us face with other people. That doesn't mean that they aren't tough or that they're not hurtful. But I want us to, to kind of do more of the more common things. So just understanding that forgiveness is, is what God did for us. And so we can hopefully ask him to help us extend it to other people. But God knows the downside of our choosing not to forgive. This is kind of what it looks like. It does definitely build a wall between us and the other person. And sometimes if there are other people on their side of the wall, it causes a breach between them as well, something that we may not want to happen. So the only thing that I can tell you, too, about unforgiveness is that there have been statistical studies that show unforgiveness can also bring about physical and emotional sicknesses really deeply. And so it's something that we want to strive to try to move away from. There is power in forgiveness. This is what it looks like. God calls us, like he did, to extend grace to the other person, to reach across the wall of unforgiveness and say, hey, I want to forgive you. Doesn't mean that you agree with what they did or that you're happy about it, but you're saying, I forgive you for what you did just like God forgave me. It kind of keeps me from standing in my rightness. You know, I'm the right one here, waiting for the other person to come away or come around to my way of thinking or acting. This is what C.S. Lewis said. To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. Pretty powerful. Now, forgiveness, we can kind of get a idea of what forgiveness is in some ways, but I want to show you some things that forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not a feeling because there are plenty of times when things happen to us and we don't feel like forgiving at all. I mean, that's the farthest thing from what is in our mind. And I think at that point we have to say, God, would you give me a want to? Give me a desire to forgive? That's where it can start because he's working in your own heart. It's also not an excuse. It's not excusing someone. Oh, you know, that's okay. No big deal. If I do something that hurts someone or I say something that is not very good to them and it causes them to feel rejected and I know about it, I'm going to go to them and say, hey, what I said or what I did was wrong and I hope you will forgive me. If they respond with, oh, that's okay. It's no big deal. I'm going to immediately say, no. It's not okay because that is not who I want to be. As a Christian, I want to live a life that reflects love for other people, and this includes you as well, so it's not okay. The next thing it is is it's not forgetting. <clears throat> God can forget our sins, as he says he will, but he doesn't require us to. Now, I will tell you, sometimes when you're really, really hurt, distance from that particular moment, time can heal. And it's not quite as hurtful as you go through life. But there are some situations that you should not forget because it keeps you from putting yourself in a really uh, a bad situation where you could really be hurt again. So sometimes it's good to remember. One thing, though, that forgiveness is, it's a choice or a decision. And since it's a choice, guess what? It means you can choose not to forgive. God gives us that choice. I want to talk about, though, the power that comes in forgiveness really quickly for you. Because when you forgive someone, you know what? 
they don't have a hold on you and your emotions anymore. It's like you're kind of free of that. I mean, it doesn't mean you don't remember, but they don't have that hold. When someone they walk in the room, it's not like you paralyze with fear or you wonder what's going to be happening because you are forgiving them. Um, it's releasing them to God for Him to deal with them, to deal with their heart, to deal with their actions, the consequences that come. We're no longer in charge of trying to figure out how are we going to get them to pay for this thing that they did or said. That's all in God's hands. God, I give it to you. I, I just release it to you. It was really hurtful. It was really hurtful to me. And I would like to do something really bad back. But would you help me forgive them and extend grace to them? There's something about that that can bring an incredible peace to your heart that you don't have when you don't forgive. I want to watch a story about forgiveness and the power that it has. As the nation marks the anniversary this week of the Newtown, Connecticut school shooting, families of some of the 26 who were killed attended a vigil today at the National Cathedral in Washington. Prayers were offered for all of the victims of gun violence in this country, and that would include the five young Amish girls who were killed and five who were wounded just a few years ago in south-central Pennsylvania. Jeff Glore tells us that out of the horror of that school shooting has come a lesson in forgiveness. It's been seven years since Terry Roberts' life changed forever. In October 2006, her 32-year-old son Charlie walked into an Amish school in Lancaster County and shot ten young girls before killing himself. I heard the sirens and saw helicopters. Then the phone was ringing and it was my husband. And he said, I need you to come to Charlie's house right away. And I got out of the car and I looked at my husband and these sunken eyes just saying, it was Charlie. It could not be. And yet it truly was. It was true. It was our son. Robert's initial reaction was that she had to move away. But the Amish came to her house the night of the shooting to say they wanted her to stay. Some of the victim's families attended her son's funeral. There are not words to describe how that made us feel that day. And then for the mother and father that had lost not just one, but two daughters at the hand of our son to come up and be the first ones to greet us. Wow, is there anything in this life we shouldn't forgive? Terry Roberts now shares this message with those who've experienced trauma. And every Thursday, she cares for the most seriously wounded survivor of the shooting, now 13. It's against Amish beliefs to appear on camera, so Donald Craighill often speaks on their behalf. You have this mother who raised a son that did this horrific damage to this young woman. And the mother has the courage and the spiritual fortitude to come back and to care for this uh, young woman. And the parents of the young woman welcome her into their home. It's a powerful, powerful story. Those families in Newtown who may still have understandably conflicted feelings now still less than a year later, what do you, what do you say to them? Ask God to provide new things in your lives new things to focus on, and that doesn't take the place of what is lost. But it can give us a hope and a future. A future made possible for Terry Roberts because of forgiveness. Jeff Glor, CBS News, Lancaster County, Pennsylvania.
that kind of forgiveness is not a natural human response. It's an amazing story of God's grace and how he can do it through us. Uh, that's important to think about. Um, it's costly to resolve conflict. It is always costlier not to. And dealing with conflict has to start in my heart and in your heart. It's not just a few simple steps. We've talked about some things tonight, but it really is a heart issue. It's me wanting to be more like Jesus in the way that he loved people, in the way that he forgave some of the worst kinds of people in his day and time. It's me being able to live out Colossians 3, 12 through 15 that says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. <clears throat> when I see somebody that I meet for the first time, I'm generally pers a person that sees their face first. I love looking at faces. But the next thing I see are what they have on. It gives me a sense of who they are. And so when I'm in a conflict with someone else, I hope people, when they observe me in a conflict, are going to notice what I'm wearing. Am I wearing <coughs> compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience? That's what I want to do. That's what I want to be like, to reflect. That's pretty different from what the world looks like. But I want to be different. I want to be someone who people say, wow. You know, I got some, I've got some work to do, folks. I'm not there. But I'm just saying that's my goal. That's what I want to do. So, um, actually, I want to close uh, in just a minute with prayer. And, and I want to let you know, after prayer, um, just a moment of praying for you. If you have some questions, I mean, if you want to ask in the whole group, great. If you want to come and ask after it's over, fine. If you need to go, you know, so you'll be ready for the next one, great. But I do want to pray with you before we leave. So would you just pray with me? Heavenly, Heavenly Father, dear Jesus, I am so grateful for these women that are sitting here, or they wouldn't be here if they didn't want to learn more about you. And Lord, we know that we're going to experience conflicts in our life. We wish we didn't have to. We'd rather be free of it. But since we know it's going to come, we just pray, Lord, that you would give us just an oh, immeasurable amount of grace, Lord, First of all, to really focus on you and how we can honor you when we're in a conflict. And then, then to look at our own hearts, Lord, and see what it is you'd like to change in us, something that we did to contribute to the conflict. And then, Lord, when we go to the other person to give us grace and compassion as we reach out to them, whether it's to forgive them or for them to forgive us. Lord, tonight, I just really pray that you will help us to be a reflection of your love. And I ask you just to bless these women with just your powerful grace and love that when they go out and they deal with their own conflicts, that, Lord, they would look different than those women who have never chosen to follow you. We ask this in your name, Jesus.